The Holy Gospel for this day comes from Luke chapter 13. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. First off, let me say, as you probably noticed, that I am not Pastor Mary Alice. So, that is because Pastor Mary Alice was in a car accident at the end of the week. She is doing okay, she's recovering, but she does have a mild to moderate concussion. And the doctor has told her not to read or to use screens uh, for at least a week. That makes it hard to preach. Uh, it also makes it very hard to be Pastor Mary Alice, who is one of the most inveterate readers I have ever met in my life. So, if you would pray for her and for her recovery uh, and for the ability to read as soon as possible again. Uh, she said, what will I do with myself? Um, I know she would appreciate that very much, and we will be praying for her this morning too. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. They start walking just after dawn. They stream through the streets, begin climbing the hills, and drop a few coins in the outstretched palms of the poor along the way. They leave their houses, their lives, and their neighbors, walk the streets with heads covered and eyes downturned. But when they pass through the gates and lift up their eyes, suddenly they are in the city, in an illuminated place, a different place, a familiar place, for no one is alone in Jerusalem. Even the stones there know your family. Once inside the city, the stream of humanity divides. Christians turn north. Today is the last Friday before Christmas, and this afternoon, monks will lead a somber procession carrying crosses down the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows, the way Jesus walked carrying his cross. Jews turn south. Today is the last Friday of Hanukkah, and at sunset, rabbis will hold a jubilant celebration lighting six candles at the Western Wall. Muslims turn east. Today is the last Friday of Ramadan, and at noon, clerics will hold a massive prayer service with 200,000 people bending as one. That sort of day is not rare in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a touchstone of faith. It is where the stream of humanity comes together and divides again. Solomon built here. Jesus prayed and wept here. The prophet Muhammad ascended here. And Abraham. It is said that Abraham came here to sacrifice his son on a rock. That rock is now hidden under a golden dome. 
Legend says that God illuminated the first ray of light in creation from that rock. Christians have come to that rock for pilgrimage for centuries to the spot where Abraham's faith was tested and where God provided a way through. On that rock, it is said the prophet Muhammad took his night journey to heaven. Here, in this city, at that rock, all the children of Abraham come to pray. And here, at that rock, in the city, all the children of Abraham come to fight. This description of Jerusalem comes from a book called Abraham by Bruce Feiler. You can get it in the church library after today. For this morning, we read in the book of Genesis reminders that it is Abraham that we share, a common ancestor to Jews and Christians and Muslims. Each of our traditions claims him as a father to our faith. Each of our traditions tells his story or stories in all their beauty and confusion and complication. And so, on this day, as we grieve with our Muslim siblings in New Zealand, and we acknowledge the fears and anxieties of our Muslim neighbors here, we can't read Abraham's story without acknowledging that something in him binds us together and tears us apart all at the same time. Now, according to the Hebrew Bible, Abraham is the first human being with whom God develops a long-standing and intimate relationship. In Genesis 12, a little bit before our reading for today, God calls to Abram, as he is known then, and tells him to go. Go from your country, from your father's land, to the land that I will show you. And for the first time then, but not the last, God makes an audacious promise to Abraham, who, we should note, is 75 years old at the time and has no children. God says to him, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless your name and those who bless you I will bless and those who curse you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What we know up to, about Abram up to that point is not much. We know that his father's name was Terah. We know he is married to a woman named Sarai. We know he is 75 years old, and we know that Abram and Sarai have no children. So maybe Abram goes as God commands him because he doesn't, frankly, have that much to lose. But he goes, anyway. From everything he's known his whole life, he leaves it all behind. He takes his nephew Lot and his wife, and they travel. They become wanderers, never quite at home, never quite arriving. Now, if you fast forward from that to a few chapters to our reading this morning, you'll find God's second promise to Abram. Abram, though, this is something else we learn about him, is no fool. And he can't help but notice that in spite of God's big words about making of him a great nation, he notably has no children. So he points this out helpfully to the God of the universe. Look around, he says. Do you see any children here? The only heir I have is a slave in my household. 
Okay, says God, then let's go outside. Now crane your neck back, way back, look up into the sky, Abram, and see if you can count the stars. That is how many descendants you will have. Now my favorite part of the story is that Abraham does two things right after this. First of all, he believes God, and God counts it to him as righteousness. And then immediately following afterward, he says to God, but how will I know? I mean, I believe you in everything, but prove it. God then does what we read about this morning, which seems to us a rather bizarre ritual involving some unfortunate animals. Abram gets a heifer and a goat and a ram and some birds. Most of them he cuts in half. And then he performs a ritual that was not uncommon at the time. To make a covenant with another person, one way of sealing that covenant, an unbreakable promise, was to split these animals in two and lay them on either side of a pathway. And the people making the covenant with each other would walk through the pathway as if to say to each other, may the fate of these animals be my fate if I break my word to you. What's remarkable about this story is that it's not Abram who walks between the animals, is it? When the sun goes down and it is dark, a smoking fire pot and a torch, two symbols for God, pass between the pieces. It's God who makes the covenant. It's God who's willing to take the risk and bear the consequences should God ever break that covenant word. So here we are, thousands upon thousands of years later, we who claim Abraham as our ancestor, the father of Isaac, who became an ancestor of David, who became the ancestor of Jesus. Not too far down the street from us, our Jewish neighbors gather, and they tell these same stories about Abraham and Sarah, the two who kept covenant with God, although imperfectly. God's faithfulness to them woven throughout their lives until finally they do welcome their beloved son, Isaac. And they endure the greatest test any human being has ever faced, the near sacrifice of their child. A story which still haunts and bothers us as it should, and yet also shows the determination of God to provide, even under the worst circumstances. And not much further down the street from that, our Muslim neighbors remember Abraham's other son, Ishmael, born of Hagar, a woman whom Abraham kept as a slave and used for his own purposes without her permission or consent. Abraham got Hagar pregnant and claimed her son as his own until Sarah became jealous and threw them both out, mother and child, into the wilderness. Hagar cried out to God, and God heard her cry. And God made a covenant, an unbreakable promise to her and to her son, provided water for them in the wilderness, and blessed them. Ishmael is regarded as an ancestor to the prophet Muhammad.
in the story of Abraham is our shared humanity and our capacity for deep and painful divisions. You can't tell the story of Abraham without knowing that God made covenant with Abram three times. And God does not break promises. And if God has made that covenant with Abraham, our shared ancestor, and with all of Abraham's offspring, then we are bound to each other as siblings. We who are Christian, we who are Jewish, and we who are Muslim. Now, like siblings, we are not the same. We do not need to be. Like siblings, we at times can become secretly convinced that we are the favorites. The parent loves us best. We are the best ones in the family. Like siblings, we can become wounded. We can create woundedness for each other. We can hurt each other more than anyone else. We can cut deeply, precisely because we share so much. And like a good parent, God loves us all. Keeps the promises God makes to us all. And does not break them. Not ever. Not even once. So we can say that any ideology that teaches that God loves one of those children more or less, any ideology that teaches that God would break a covenant to anyone ever? That's just a sin. Plain and simple. And an attempt to divide us from each other yet again. We are called to stand up and reject that claim. Let me tell you one last story from the same book about Abraham. It is said that long ago, two brothers lived on either side of a hill. One was wealthy but had no children. The other had many children but no wealth. The rich brother decided one night that he was blessed with goods. And so he took a sack of grain across the hill on one side to his brother, who had many children to feed. The other brother decided that he is blessed with many children. And since his brother should at least have wealth, he took a sack of grain from his silo and he carried it across the hill to his brother. Every night they did this. And every morning, each brother was astounded that somehow he had the same amount of grain as before. Finally, one night, they met at the top of the hill and realized what was happening. They put down their grain and embraced and at that moment, a voice from heaven said, This is the place where I can build my house on earth. It is said that that spot, the spot where the two brothers met, is the rock where Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac, where Mohammed ascended to the heavens, where Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, wondering if there would ever be peace. The story tells us that that degree of love the brothers had for one another is how we see God in the world.
The story says that that rock is certainly not the only place in the world where you can connect with God, but it is the place that teaches us that we connect with God only when we understand what it is to love each other. It is the place that teaches us that if we are not capable of living with one another and honoring each other and sacrificing for one another, then we are not capable of recognizing God. So listen to that story, children of Abraham. For the question it asks is not whether God can bring peace into the world. The question of the story is, can we?